Seabass. Yeah, what's up? I love India. Same, same here. <laughs> That's the most general statement ever, but I do love India. They are uh, Indians are pretty cool. You know, I, lo- I eat a lot cool. of curry. Yeah, I love eat a lot of curry. I love curry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but um, I want to talk about what is happening in India on a serious note. Mm. Um, yeah, it's pretty pretty bad. I gotta say, yeah, uh, the, the great like COVID, the, yeah. yeah. I know CNN reported on this with the whole mass grave situation. It's not looking too good over there. No, like honestly, wait, I don't know the exact numbers, but um, what was it? Uh, cases are just, I guess, numerically are through the roof. Um, these photos of uh, doctors with, what do you call them? The uh, like things where you like get a person on them and you transport them with like two people. Yeah, oh, you mean those like uh, those stretchers? Yes, the stretchers. Yeah, and like this, the ground is basically something out of like an apocalypse, like fire, like uh, little strands of fire. It's like it's insane. Yeah, um, it's bad. Yeah, it's it's just like something that makes you realize that. Um, I guess the COVID situation is very different um, when you compare it with like a first world nation and a third, and I guess a second or third world country. I don't know. I, I know India is pretty well, it's kind of not, it's not like it's dirt poor. Yeah. It's like, it has a lot of influence. And uh, power. I, yeah, I could give you like a a general. So India isn't poor necessarily, but it's not obviously as developed as places like the U.S. or China. I looked it up earlier just to be sure. I think India has the second, not the second. It's I think it has the fifth largest GDP in the world today, but that's only at two trillion. Dollars and when you look at countries like the U.S. and China that that are at 22 and 14 trillion respectively, you can clearly see the huge. That's a vast difference in economic output. I mean, two trillion dollars in GDP—that's equivalent to like some European country, but yeah. like India has like a billion people, so it's that's not really that good. Yeah, uh, yeah, and um. Yeah, and what was I about to say? Yeah, the separation between, like, the comparison, if you compare it with a first world and uh, kind of like a, let's say, like a second or third world country, the COVID situation is very different. And I think, um, let's take it from our, like, personal experience in, here in America. Uh, I would say, no, I think there are, there, we have difficulties here i there's no doubt about that and we have our share of deaths and cases but the thing is that i think for us personally uh we have the luxury of our homes 
for schooling, we have the luxury of laptops. And we also, most importantly, have the luxury of um, medicine and healthcare, no matter how expensive it is. Uh, expensive it is. Um, yeah, it's, it's truly a blessing. I have to agree with you on that. It's, you know, because obviously the situation here hasn't the best. We've managed to, you know, distribute a lot of vaccines so far. I believe so far over 150, 100 uh, million people so far I read yesterday have actually been able to get their first dose of the vaccine from all these different companies and you just look at the situation in India and it just makes you reflect on how how well off we are um, I don't know the exact uh, numbers or I guess the data do you know how I don't want to make the uh, like do you know like how good healthcare is in India? I know like their um, poverty level, most of them are poor. And that's where, where, what I want to get into. They, are, they have, they're not well off as us. And that, I think that's mainly the reason why the COVID case was just so bad because it was easily transmittable. Um, they were running out of uh, oxygen tanks I assume that their hospitals were uh, crammed. They were overworked. Uh, the people are overworking. I think uh, like either they have a, I think they have a shortage of workers, but can you uh, uh, like kind of give us like the data? Do you have the data? Well, sort of, yeah. So if you look at this, pre from um, before the pandemic actually started the I'm going to go back a couple of years so before this the life expectancy of a newborn in India was actually supposed to be 69 years um, I know that for a fact it had a decent healthcare system however there was there are vast differences in the quality of it for rural and urban areas especially between you know private and public health care um, you know, the difference is vast. I don't know too much about it, but I know for a fact that not a lot of people, especially the general population, don't have good access to health care. So unless you're uh, a government official unless you're, or unless you're significantly wealthy and probably contribute a lot in society, you probably didn't have access to good health care. So I can see why everything's starting to fall apart now. Yeah, and uh, I think there's no really... Is there really a debate over this, over whether uh, this should be a response? Because I know, for me personally, I know the obvious response. And if you um, take a re uh, take a look at my recent article, it's called uh, "Free World Enterprise," and that's a whole other conversation by itself. But that, but basically, I wrote it, and part of the plan. Um, it's like this foreign policy agenda that I came up with. It's basically giving uh, allies more funding for inf economic improvements like infrastructure, whether that would be uh, canals, roads, or whatever. Yeah. And also loans. Uh, funding for like hospitals and schools and I put that in there, the hospital and schools one, because 
uh, after what happened in India or what's happening in India. And I think the best solution is to, I think we're doing it right now and the UK is doing it and uh, I assume other allies are doing it, is to give giving them medicine, giving them vaccines, giving them uh, oxygen tanks, uh, what's it, other sources of funding. I mean, oh. this is something that it's kind of obvious uh, in the ter- in the sense that we know what the response is and what it should be. And I think we should focus all our attempts, uh, no, all our, no, most of our uh, focus on helping India, not only in the sh- short term, but also in the long term. No, yeah, you're right about that. But I think it's really a matter of how we go about it. And what I mean by that is, do we merely just, I think it's important, first and foremost, before I say this, I think it's very important that we emphasize that everyone is human, and we should just do these acts of kindness, you know, necessarily to also just help people get back on their feet and make sure that they're healthy. So we can also put an end to this pandemic. But I have to ask you, do you think that we should just merely be giving these things to them? Or do you think that in a sense that we should loan these things to them for the hope of um, getting repaid in the future or, you know, in return for their loyalty and helping us, especially in the fight against threats like Russia and China. So, you know what I mean? Because we're in the middle of a pandemic. I don't know. I know earlier um, in 2020, we were in the middle of a recession. I'm fairly certain that's the same case now. And we can't just, you know, be throwing away these billions of dollars on vaccines and just distributing distributing them to other countries across the world, especially when we ourselves are in a little bit of a tight position. So I just want your thoughts on that. Uh, okay. Uh, I think first I would change the word loyalty to friendship. Loyalty yeah. just gives off the vibe that we're, uh, I don't know, uh, what is it? Like kind of an imperialist kind, uh, like connotation. Yeah. which is not what we intend please like don't freak out yeah, but that's, uh, that's, i that's i get nice. it like uh, i think again um it's on my recent article but i it's mainly for um i guess bringing two nations together and to strengthen our not merely in an alliance, but like a sense of friendship. Uh, my view, friendships and alliances are similar, similar in like definition, but in, uh, friendships are more, uh, it gives off the vibe that two people or in this case, two nations are more strongly connected. And I think that's what we should do. Uh, not only for India, but for other countries. And for not just like the existing countries that we are uh, partnering now, but also future ones, possibly future African states, Latin America, um, 
But uh, in this case for India, I think when we, if we give them loans, it's for um, for them to rebuild. I think it's it makes sense for them to uh, repay them back with good interest rates, and by mean good like fair interest rates, not yeah. unlike the Chinese loans that are abysmally um, ridiculous and unfair, and they just um, give like they. In this in this case for like I think South Africa or in some African nations, China loans money to build a dam or roads or a canal, and they uh, well they set uh, set these high interest rates, ridiculous ridiculously high, uh, merely to control that piece of property. Yeah, and potentially control that nation. And I don't think that's the way we should, um, that's absolutely not the way we should handle this with India. Um, oh yeah. I think you bring up a good point there. It would also help to, you know, as you said before, strengthen our ties with other people and, you know, create these friendships or strengthen them as well. Because as you were saying before, with China's ridiculously high interest rates, I know for a fact that they would go to certain third world countries or poorer countries, especially in places like Africa, and they would see these um, influential seaports or mines or, you know, other places where they could get these resources and loan them, you know, money so that that way they could um, build roads and bridges and develop infrastructure and while that's good necessarily for the country uh, especially in the middle of a pan well that's already good for the country um when you get to the pandemic and they're they have to worry about their own people and they're not able to pay it back you know china takes takes those things as collateral essentially making them wealthier mm -hmm. and um also i want to add uh the benefit for giving support, uh, whatever means, whatever it is to India is to um, bring them away from Chinese influence. And basically what China is doing right now is the Belt and Road Initiative. It's this entire, it's this colossal plan to give loan money, build, infrastructure in other countries and in a way uh, control them because they're basically gaining an advantage, economic advantage over these countries. And these countries are in the Middle East, um, in the south, uh, southeastern, no, uh, what is it? The southern part of Asia, uh, Eastern Europe, and Africa, yeah. and India is a big part of Asia. It's enormous in population, um, in its geography. Uh, it's like this allows like transportation to uh, these multiple areas. Uh, and in terms of uh, po politics, uh, like political uh, influence, it's enormous. Yeah. And uh, my fear is, is that if they 
if we don't respond promptly and efficiently uh, that the Chinese would, Chinese administration, the CCP, would go to India, help them, uh, basically, quote unquote, help, giving them money, but also with the ridiculously high interest rates and um, basically take a vulnerable nation right now with uh, what India is right now and basically grab it into and hold it, hold on to it, take care of it, and basically have it be a part of their overall mission, uh, which is to control the world through, uh, I would admit, ingenious economic uh, ventures. And that's yeah. really my big fear. Uh, I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. I just looked it up right now. Um, so far, a lot have a lot of countries as of March 2021 have joined on with China's Belt and Road Initiative. It's yeah. So if you look at it, I, I just saw this. I just found this chart, right? So a majority of countries in Africa, some in Latin America, I believe Jamaica and the Caribbean, as well as some other countries in Asia have already taken China's assistance. Um, India is not one of them. And obviously they don't have any real influence with countries in uh, Western Europe, Canada, or the United States or Mexico. But I understand where you're coming from. It's a genuine fear. It's a genuine fear and concern. And um, I think without, for, without the uh, economic aspect of it, I think it's also it would also be beneficial to help India for the sole reason that we could essentially have a severe second wave. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because it's not just bad in India. It's also the outbreak there has also been spreading to other countries, such as I believe other um, countries such as Thailand, Cambodia, and Indonesia. And those are some of the countries that are farther away, but um, it, it initially started spreading from Nepal into Sri Lanka and the Maldives. So, you know, yeah, we could uh, have a, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, we could just essentially have a more severe second wave if this isn't contained or dealt with quickly. So apart from the economic part of it, this is also another genuine concern that needs to be addressed. Uh, is Bangladesh and Pakistan uh, the countries affected by it because I assume they're on the border. Yeah. And Indonesia, I, which is surprising. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about it this way, right? I think it would cause some sort of domino effect in the sense where if India is spreading it to countries on their borders, then people would continue to get affected there. And then on those neighboring countries' borders, would they would be spreading it to other neighboring countries. So... I think it would also probably be spreading into Pakistan. I believe they're also on the border and, you know, India doesn't have a good relationship with them either. So. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I see it. I guess when we take it into perspective, what we think, why it's necessary to help out India, whatever, no matter how, um, like help out India, no matter what, how, like, no matter like what, uh, I guess solution that might be and whatever, like do whatever, whatever is necessary. First, it's like human nature to help out, um, people, help people. Uh, we have, I think it's common that we do these set up donation pages, uh, spread awareness because we want to help out people. That's obvious. And that's both of our, uh, that's like, first and foremost, our intention. And that's the first reason why. Second, and I think that's stressed by me, is on a foreign policy level, on a national level, we cannot have China to enroach um, Indian affairs and and sway them into their uh, control. Also, it's a potential stronger friendship and a stronger alliance. And it's a display that if the United States, the United Kingdom, Western Europe, Canada, whoever it may be, uh, the rest of the great, uh, like our great allies, like if we help them, it's, it goes to show that we are willing to not only focus on ourselves, but focus on other people. Uh, other uh, people, other nations, and that's a very influential, I guess, uh, thing that could inspire others to do the same. Yeah, it. Yeah, you're right. Actually, it. I, I think it also shows um, our allies that we're also willing to keep our promises. You know, I know one aspect. One crucial thing with each presidential administration that comes in and out, especially from over the course of the Cold War up until as recent as, you know, former President Obama and former President Trump and, you know, currently President Biden. It's keeping, you know, our commitments to our NATO allies. I think that should also be a commitment that should be reestablished in Asia as well, because I know that initially during the Cold War, there was the fear that communism could spread throughout Asia, you know, with countries like China and, you know, places like that. And Soviet influence could expand there. But I think this was this would also be a good opportunity to, you know, renew our commitments there as well and show that we are willing to stand with our allies and gain new ones as well. Yeah, and that's really what the free world enterprise is about uh, that plan. Uh, it's just, um, I think I just reiterated the purpose of it. And I, I suggest everyone uh, to read it. I think you read it. Uh, yeah, I read it. It's, it's a very good plan, actually. I think if, if, you know, if, if, if Biden could look at it, like if Biden saw it, that I think he would probably agree with, what you have to say because that i'm not going to lie to you that was a very good plan and i wasn't expecting that honestly uh 
there's a lot of problems. Uh, honestly, me, I'm just a kid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> honestly, like if I just talk to, uh, it's like a very, I assume an ambitious, but also a very uh, foolish thing to do to like go and directly to these big top government people. Because honestly, I know there's a lot of shortcomings, but I, I think this plan is good in the sense that it's necessary, it's ambitious. I think we need some ambition um, in terms of policy when we are coming, uh, if we want to be very, very competitive against China. Because they too, they are a very, very um, tenacious people. They're very hardworking and they're smart, which is a den deadly combination. Uh, they are willing to go, they have built these grand cities in a very short time, in like a couple of, like two decades, a decade or two decades. That's, that's very short. Yeah. Honestly, like a development of cities, like giant cities, like basically from simple planes to the biggest cities in the world. That is impressive. I have to admit. Yeah. I and think... it takes us like 16 years to build the World Trade Center. That's one building. And they it built us a 16... city. It 16 took years. Six... Wait, it took us 16 years to build? Like 15 to 16 years. Just to build the World Trade Center. Yes. Like you can look it up now. Just look it up. It's like astounding. Um, what was it? Uh... So let's see. Yeah, it took yeah, it took well over a decade. Oh wait, sorry, eleven years. But that's yeah. still like you know, like there's this one thing. China has built a five hundred story, what was it, like a building in less than two weeks. No, no, there's no way. There you could look this up. What what's it called? I have uh, I need a I need to check. It's like Chinese building less than what is it? Let me check. Okay. I whoa. Built in 19 no. days. Okay, it's not 500 stories, that which is my bad, but that's 50 stories, 57 stories skyscraper in 19 days. In two weeks, in almost three weeks. I, I'm telling you, they are a very like they are a no bullshit people. Yeah, they're it's crazy, dude. They're they're dude. in that's crazy they're testing no? right is um yeah. kids go undergoes rigorous testing which is called the galco and uh this is basically the most grueling test one of the most grueling tests in the world and i watched a video on this it's it's so um depressing it's determines what you're gonna do in life and if you don't have top, top marks on that, I think it's like, oh, how long is it? Uh, I think I'm getting it. I'm getting it confused with another test. But it's like Galco is basically okay. Uh, let me just see. It's an academic examination. Uh, yeah, it's needed to know if you're to get into like the best universities. Okay, so it just determines your level of intelligence and, you know, more or less who's going to be the future of the country? 
basically. And it, like, look at this um, on Google. Is Galco harder than the SAT? Get that Galco is far more intense than any college entrance exam in the United States. While the SAT and ACT is around three to four hours long, the Galco is spread over two days and takes about nine hours. Okay, I see what you're. I see where you're getting that from. That's, dude, that's insane. Okay, I think. It, okay, it tests you on Chinese literature, math, foreign language. Like most cases, English. Uh, if you choose like a liberal arts path in high school, you need to take more tests on history, politics, and geography. And that's basically what the Galco is. Okay. That, okay, that's insane. I think, okay, hear me out. Uh, do you, all right, hear me out with this one. Do you think that we need to, that the US needs to reinvent itself? Not necessarily entirely, but in terms of the way, in terms of infrastructure, in terms of the education system, so that way we can also keep up with, you know, countries like China. What, what do you think about that? Okay, first of all, we cannot be like China. I think that just goes against the, our principles in the sense that they are more first of all they're eastern and they're asian uh and they are more traditional they're more stern i would say i think that's a fair assessment yeah uh, like first of all i come from an asian family and we take education seriously and i sometimes disagree with the Eastern method of education. But yeah. um, I think we cannot be like China. We can't adopt the Gaoko, something like that, because that's just, first of all, that's so, um, that, that would dis disrupt what teenage life in the United States, it would, that would just, just disrupt well, we like the daily life of teenagers. I think we're already like depressed enough. <laughs> I, I think. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, the the pressure is immense, it, especially you know what your goals and your aspirations are. It's really intense. In terms of education, I think uh, we do need to focus more on education. I think first of all, it's more more funding uh, for it more. Uh, focus on that in the financial sense. Infrastructure, yeah. It takes too long to build, too long and expensive to build airports and roads and stuff like that. I mean, in Saudi Arabia, they have this ginormous airport. No, not Saudi Arabia, what was it? Um, Dubai? Dubai, I think, yeah, Dubai. Yeah. Have this like, Gorgeous airport, which could fit so many people. It's like fat water fountains. It's like this beautiful place. And you go to JFK Airport, and it's a shit. It's a shit show. It's like it's disgusting. It's like <laughs> something from a third world nation. <laughs> and it's, it's it's JFK Airport. I I swear to God, JFK would be like, oh, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Yeah, I don't want my do. name to be tied to this shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
Yeah. I think, I think it's, um, it's too expensive and too long to build because honestly, regulations, there's too many like environmental, the, what was it like zoning laws or whatever, like too many regulations to build these things. And the highway and the railway in California, um, it takes like millions of dollars per mile to build. While in France, I need to check this. In France, it takes a couple thousand on, railway cost per mile. Hold on a minute. Um, one. All right. Okay. Here in Bloomberg City Lab, my numbers are off. So in the United States, most recent and in progress rail lines cost more than $100 million per mile. In uh, Minneapolis, it costs around $120 million and $130 million per mile. While in France, um, the cheapest ones are $40 million, and the more expensive ones are $100 million. Wait, so you're saying the average cost to build a railway in California, the average, like the, the minimum is $100 million. No, I need no, I need to check this. All right. Uh, California. High-speed rail, cost per mile. Jesus Christ. The yeah, cost up? per mile of the plan 150 120 mile California high speed rail system, assuming it could actually be built for the current estimate of $80 billion, is $154 million per mile. What? That's big. That's a lot of money. Uh, yeah, I think. <laughs> Business Insider California is the latest example of the United States failing to do what the rest of the world. Uh, I assume is doing. Uh, okay, that's not good because it depends on the quality of it, right? It's yeah, it depends on the quality, and it has to be, you know, cost efficient. Cost efficient, or you know what I mean? Okay, here's the thing. Um. It's called the article, you could look it up at globalconstructionreview.com, why China can build high-speed rail so cheaply. In under a decade, China has built a high-speed rail network totaling more than 10,000 kilometers. It eclipses every other country's high-speed network and even that of the entire European Union. Not only that, to build it, China spent two-thirds or less what other countries have spent according to a World Bank paper published last week, and this back in 2014, China's yeah. high-speed rail so far has cost between 17 million and 21 million per kilometer, even though it has a high ratio of big ticket uh, viaducts and tunnels. In Europe, that figure is 25 million to 30, 39 million per kilometer, while in California, the only United States uh, state Currently planning on a high-speed rail, uh, high-speed line, it costs more than fifty-six million dollars per kilometer. You're serious? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think, I think it's just because like China owns major companies. I think 
it's authoritarian and, and it's very they have this it's called i think they have this system called authoritarian capitalism which is basically the, the uh the ccp um owning a lot of these corporations and basically undergoing these capitalistic methods and honestly i think that's why they're efficient they have this one party system in which that one party without any um uh criticism without any opposition can focus all their efforts on these things like nation building economic reform infrastructure mm. that takes away what democracy is and democracy I have to admit, it is efficient, inefficient in a way, because it le- it opens the path for these two opposition parties, which are necessary to um, debate and to oppose one another, to criticize. To uh, one party brings up this plan, one other like reviews it, they debate over it, and they eventually, very slowly they come to a, like an agreement and that takes time. The COVID, the American rescue plan was first brought up by Joe Biden, of course. Yeah. It was like $1.9 trillion. And then Congress, they, there was this Republican senators trying to make their case, oh, this is too expensive. Or we have another plan that's six, $600 billion, which I, well, I find that's like abysmally, that's very low. Um, and it took, I think I counted like three months to official uh, like house review, Senate review. It took three months to pass. And I have like conversations with like other kids, right. With like other friends yeah. said, you know, Oh, like uh, on Friday, they're going to actually like vote on it. It's like, and one of the friends said, you know, like that $1,400 is really not that pleasing anymore. And this was like, three months after it was introduced. Well, I think they're actually, your, your friends actually have a good point about that. But before I get, before I say anything about that, I'd like to bring back a point that you said about their, um, it's called, it's officially known as state capitalism. Yeah. So I think you're right. There is, there is a benefit to having two opposing sides to an argument or two different perspectives so that there can be negotiations, there can be debates, and eventually that they can come to some sort of, you know, compromise and you can work things out between the two sides. But if, but if it's inefficient, I'm not saying, first of all, I'm going to say this, don't, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to first say this, don't, I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting we go to state capitalism. I'm not suggesting having one ruling party over the United States. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I think it's overall generally more efficient and effective when, for example, China is, the the government is actually very much in control of a lot of their corporations and a lot of their companies, you know, so that way they can also manage the relations between those companies and they can, you know, regulate and monitor them. And they're also able to make sure that these companies aren't exploiting other companies within, you know, their, within their nation and also um, exploiting the general population. So I can see 
where the benefits of state capitalism come in there. But I, I, I agree with you in terms of, you know, the lack of opposition. Yeah, but I, I'm just saying that I'm not in uh, support of state capitalism. I'm just saying, objectively speaking, it is a f- more efficient uh, practically. Um, but also, it's not moral in the sense that it's undemocratic, does not um, abide by um, the principle that conversation debate uh like the philosophy of conversation and debate and its benefits but yeah that's really um i'm just saying that the united states should really reconsider their economic policy and also in addition oh that we're going back to the your question on what was it? What should what should the United States do? Yeah. Um. I think we oh, we're gonna go back on that in future episodes. But first, education, infrastructure, and economy. Also, I think this is more uh, important. This should is like an like a umbrella. It's like this all-encompassing like thing. If we do this, we can do the other thing. We should really have uh, individually and also collectively be more vigorous, be more ambitious, be more hardworking, while also maintaining the the spirit of the of democratic rule. And it's very hard. Uh, I think. I think I call this the Cold War mindset. And this is, we're talking about early Cold War. Not in, not like we all, oh, we hate the commies and we should, uh, not that mindset of like, oh, we should hate the, com- oh, we hate the commies and we should, uh, you know, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Like, you know, like going like just like through every government department and just um like taking out like you know the mccarthyism we shouldn't do that what i'm uh, implying is the cold war mindset in which there's this intense composition uh, competition between the united states and the soviet union and we need to beat them in everything possible like sports you know like the olympics economy militarily we should beat them in everything no matter what. And that's the vigorous mindset that we should revive. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I see where you're going. Oh, did you have something else to say? Or... No, I think no, that's just it. I'm just saying that um, I think we need to be tougher. This okay. be more um, I'm trying to choose my words carefully. Uh, uh, just like, you know, I think just tougher, really. So kind of, in a sense, reignite that, I guess you could say, spirit of nationalism, you know, in the sense. Not intense, not intense nationalism. 
Yeah. But um, the spirit of we should really not nationalism in the sense of like America because nationalism is a very um has a bad connotation because of the apparent uh, displays of racism that has been uh, displayed in like other parts of the country. Um, it takes the form of like notably in the South for like a long period of time, the sense of like of America that is rule that is governed by white people. Um, I think it should be the, our ambition and our toughness should be rooted in the fact that we believe in an America and also a free world. I think we need to really like go away, for, like leave out this like belief that America should be the sole paternalist, uh, paternal superpower to take care of other nations. Because really, I think my other philosophy is that Europe is really another great superpower if it's united. And that's why I'm really uh, discontent about Brexit. I think we should really uh, remove this mindset that we, the United States, uh, we're this great superpower, which we are, but this like um, too intense belief that we are like the, I guess, world police, that we're like the only ones who could solve the world's problems. It's just, a, it's a very um, toxic mindset. And I think the empowerment of our friends and this great partnership, if we together as a free world work together, and I mean really work together, bring, bringing us, the United States, up here to the same kind of like, instead of like being 10 steps above Europe, really, we should be on the same level. Okay. And so, yeah. Yeah, okay. I think, okay, so essentially, I see where you're coming from. I think it also stems from like an area or a sense of complacency in terms of, you know, since the Soviet Union collapsed, the U.S. had has been technically unchallenged for a while. So I can also see where that mindset comes in of, you know, we're the only ones who are able to solve the world's problems, you know, and the U.S. being on top has been the status quo for a while. So I, I do understand where you're coming from. Yeah, but we need to be tougher in the sense that we need to remove, be more united in the fact that we are a democratic nation and that we should be, that we should not only maintain democracy here, but around the world. And I don't mean like democracy of what we know it. Well, I guess like not American democracy, but, well, you know, like democracy, like voting elections, Allowing elections. people to choose their leaders and yeah, their what's leaders. effective. Not yeah. America like being too involved in their elections. Yeah. That's not democracy. That's that's not how the like the people are you're not like taking into account what they want, the other people want. 
basically like what we America want. It's like it happened in Vietnam. We were too involved in like South Korean, the no South was uh, Vietnam. Like in terms of we were like in politically very involved. We instituted this like South Vietnamese leader. And once he was failing, we instituted a new one. And that happened in the Middle East too. Yeah. So I think we need to be more vigorous, honestly. And yeah, you're um, right. we have to stop being soft. Yeah, you're right about that. But if you don't mind, I'd, while we're on the topic of China, I think it's important that we also bring this up. And I know when I first saw about it, um, I didn't even think it was real. I was just, I'll be honest with you, I was scrolling on TikTok. I saw a video about it. I thought it was funny because I didn't even think it was real. But when other major or news stations started reporting on it, that's when I got a little bit concerned. So uh, I know you've heard about the whole situation with the Chinese rocket, right? Ah, uh, yes, that rocket. So that's uh, one that's bit... going to hit the earth this weekend. And I assume not today or probably. I'd, I'd hope not today. <laughs> I think uh, I heard from a friend that it might land in the United States. Really? And he went about like, oh, this is like, this might be like the way for the Chinese to like attack us. And like, no, I don't think he was that like intense about it. But I mean, like, I don't believe that's the case. That... It's like saying COVID was like genetically engineered to weaken the free uh, the Western world, which is like. No, there's no really proof of that. You know, like, it's not convincing enough. But yeah. it's cons- overall, it's, like, concerning because it's, like, this object coming down the, af- the atmosphere. And if you, like, see, like, how, like, a thing from, Earth, like, space can come down into Earth, like, it heats up, it goes super fast, and, like, if it's large enough it could cause serious damage. But I don't think this is that large. Like, it's a bus. It's the size of a bus. Yeah. It could cause damage in the very, like, destroy a building or something. Okay, that's fair. But I I was looking at something earlier, and I was having a conversation as well, right? So, um... When you think about it, I remember looking at this chart. I know CNBC posted this a while ago just let me pull up pull it up quickly so looking at this chart here there is a yeah it's supposed to land somewhere on earth this weekend either tonight or tomorrow they just don't know where and think about it this way right don't you think that if it lands somewhere important like let's say hypothetically it landed in dc right the white house yeah Congress. or yeah somewhere important in dc like the white house um don't you think that um even though it technically would be an accident we could see it as an act of war because you know what i mean it's foreign it's for technology it essentially lands technically it would 
be an There's accident. No. We'd hope so, but you know what I mean? Wouldn't that also send off a message to the rest of the world if we're not willing to respond like a sense of weakness? Or what do you think? Well, first of all, it's, there's no proof. It's not like a rocket is launched from China to the White House. First yeah. of all, like no one knew where it was going to land initially. Yeah. And uh, I mean, obviously, it should raise some concern. And we should like go to China and basically be like, yo, like what just happened? Like, this is your rocket. Was this like deliberate? Was this on purpose? And honestly, if they said, oh, no, it's not on purpose, I would say that's cat. Honestly, Mm -hmm. I think there's something more. I'm not going to accuse you now, but I think unless they provide some evidence, like hardcore, numerous evidence, then honestly. Okay. I would take that stance, like of, you know, like, you know, what the, what just, what just happened, China, you know? Yeah. Um, hold on. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because the reason I'm bringing this up is because this isn't the first time this has happened. Um, I know a couple years ago, or let me think. Okay, never mind. On April 29th, I think, or a little, excuse me, a little while back, there was another rocket that China had launched, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of some parts, some uh, scrap metal, scraps of metal actually landed in West Africa. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because I think maybe the Chinese need to be a little more responsible with this um, because, you know, the first time this happened, as far as I know, happened a couple of years ago in West Africa. It's happening again now. And apparently they plan to launch several other rockets, probably for research or space exploration over the next couple of months before 2021 ends. But even so, it's a bit, you know, dangerous. So I think it raises yeah. a little bit of concern. It should. And I don't think we should be fanatics about it. Like the ones who believe that they, who like called the coronavirus, the China virus. Yeah. That's, that's a bit much. Yeah. That's a, I mean, the, the argument, um, I'm like, I'm just talking about all oh, like immediately without much reason and thought that China is attacking the United States. Well, first of all, it should be a concern. Second, but however, be reasonable about it. Uh, be careful with your words, you know, uh, don't be yeah. like, uh, don't let other people just like believe that immediately that you are this conspiracy theorist fanatic. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. But, um, I think, uh, in terms of China, honestly, well, trying to tie together this, the Indian crisis, what's happening now, I think it's, a time not only of mourning, uh, mourn, uh, mourning and uh, stuff like that, but also just to help people and a potentially practically in a foreign international sphere, I guess, is to help a fellow nation, to help, help, help a fellow ally. 
And I think, um, I think that's a good place to end it here. Yeah, that's fair enough. I think there's a lot of um, organizations and websites that, where you could donate, probably social media. I think um, we'll help, uh, yeah. we'll help yeah, and it- find those and uh, social uh, and put those on social media. I think um, we'll put our uh, Instagram and stuff like that in our bio, but in a, in addition, Sam, I think, you know, uh, at our, at our school, you know, they're doing the whole COVID relief club thing. We, yeah. We just actually, you know, found an organization to donate a lot of that money that we bring into India. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely uh, do that with our podcast and website, which is the judiciousjournal.com to remind all uh, everyone of you. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I think we covered a lot, and we will be not. We will not uh, end our conversation about China and international affairs anytime soon. So watch out for that. And I hope all of you have a nice evening, and we'll see you later. Have a good weekend, everybody.